What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here a little bit early. I promised you guys we would do the show early, but uh, in light of the Ben Howland news breaking a little bit earlier than I anticipated, we're going to go ahead and do the show today. Of course, uh, Friday is a travel day for me. I'll be headed over to Athens, Georgia, to watch the Mississippi State Bulldogs uh, take on Georgia and begin SEC play. We'll provide full coverage from Athens for you guys, uh, eager to get down there too. And of course, recording the show enables me to kind of get out the door a little quicker. So we're going to go ahead and handle some things today. Of course, uh, you know, of course, big news is uh, Ben Howen, Mississippi State parting ways. You know, people say, well, Steve, was he fired? Did he resign? It, it, it all means the same thing. You know, he's gone. This was not a situation that, uh, you know, we weren't anticipating. I think we've known this for a while. You know, that was the thing, too. If we go back to the beginning of the season, everybody who really paid attention knew that we needed to make the NCAA tournament this year with the talent available to us to extend the Ben Howen era. Now, one of the things I think is lost in a lot of this is this is not a one-year deal. And to be honest with you, I think there are a lot of people, including myself in some respects, that begin to have some real concerns about Ben Howland's ability to get it done at Mississippi State dating back a couple of years. Be honest with you, you know, the Liberty loss in the NCAA tournament, that was that was a deal breaker in a lot of respects. You can say, well, you know, Steve, I mean, yeah, it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's true, it was. But we had three NBA players on that team, and we get upset by Liberty. Well, Steve, it's a 12-5 matchup. Yeah, it's true. But we were the 5C. We were the better team, and we lost. And we blew it down a stretch. And I think the concern was then, at least for me, it's like you look at this and you begin to think, okay, when will we have this collection of talent available to us again? Well, we had most of that team back together the next year. And, of course, they canceled the postseason. We never even got to play a game in the SEC tournament. The inside information back then is that we needed to win two games in a tournament. 
chances that happen to a pretty slim. But it's not completely unrealistic either. And that was a team that was very talented. They played to their potential. They could have beaten a Kentucky. They could have beaten a Florida on a neutral floor. The reality of it is, I think that actually bought Ben Howen some time. And we didn't make the tournament. And I think people are like, well, okay. Well, then, then you lose Reggie Perry and you lose Robert Woodard and you have this fruit basket turnover with the roster. And so you got 2021 to kind of get it right again. We knew we weren't going to be as talented. You had Iverson, you had DJ. You, you had some pieces to work with, but it wasn't a deep team at all. And so expectations last year, I think, were a little more meager. This year was completely different. And at the end of the day, seven seasons, zero NCAA tournament wins. Zero. One appearance, zero wins. And at the end of the day, that's, that's how you measure this thing up. Do we expect to be in a tournament every year? No, we don't. No, we shouldn't. And we, and we don't, and we shouldn't. We don't have that type of pedigree in basketball. But we haven't had a win in a long time. I outlined that yesterday in an article on Gene's page. I guess 2008 was the last time we won an NCAA tournament game. That's a long time to wait. So you have to look at what's better for the program. What happens for the betterment of the athletic department? You have to make difficult decisions. They're not always popular. I submit to you that you know, two weeks ago, if you had told many of our fans we're not going to retain Doug Novak as our head coach, you'd have gotten a pretty spirited discussion out of that, out of that, that comment. Well, now that people have met Sam Purcell, I think people are kind of cautiously optimistic. It's like, okay, all right, cool. I was down with Doug. I'd have been okay with Doug, but I'm excited about this. And I am too. I'm really excited about Sam Purcell. We haven't hired a new coach on the men's side yet. I don't think that's far off, though. I don't think it's far off. I think your next basketball coach is currently preparing to coach his NCAA tournament game, his opening game, and then business will pick up on the Mississippi State side. A lot of rumors out there. We're going to get into some of that stuff a little bit later. But I wanted to take some time, number one, to show a little appreciation to Ben Howland. I have probably been one of his most vocal critics, but the reality of it is Ben Howland took over a very dreadful situation and restored some dignity and respect to Mississippi State basketball. Are we a feared program? No, we're not. We're not quite there. But he certainly left Mississippi State basketball in a much better situation than he found it. So we'll get to that shortly. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, probably eating dinner there tonight. I like Bulldog Burger Company. You will too. Many of you are already raving fans. You get great food at a great price with a great atmosphere and those fabulous portions. You always get more than you pay for. How many places in the world can you say that about? Bulldog Burger Company takes care of you. Whether it be an evening out with friends, could be family night, could be a business dinner. They have the resume and the recipes to make all of those opportunities a win for you. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, Lake Harbor Drive uh, there in the Richmond Flowood area. Everybody in central Mississippi can flock to Bulldogger Company. Doing a great job down there. Go by and check them out. Today, I would have the Pimentology at Bacon, probably with some onion rings. I'm an onion rings aficionado. I like theirs a lot. And maybe get that chocolate shake to go. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. 
All right, let's take a look at the Ben Howen file. And there are some people out there like, ah, you know, Steve, I think you should have had another year. And, you know, we got this great recruiting class coming in. Listen, that's every year. It's every year. You could have that conversation at the end of every year. It's like, oh, we've got some good players coming in next year. That happens all the time. That's the reality of life. There's always some new recruits going to come in and be kind of a fan favorite. But let's go back a little bit here, and let's look and see kind of what, what Ben Howen inherited here. Of course, you know, we had the Rick Stansberry years, and uh, things did not go the well we had hoped towards the end. I, like you, I had grown accustomed to Stansberry basketball. I knew that every year we had a chance to make the tournament. Every year we had a chance. You know, Rick takes over in 99. We go to the NIT in the first round. We don't make it the next year. We actually post a losing record, 14-16. Make the quarterfinals of the NIT in 2001. We win a game in the tournament in 2002. Eliminated in the first round of the tournament in 2003. 2004, that's the Road Warriors year, we get eliminated in the second round. 2005, eliminated a second round. And then there became to be this uh, outcry from our fan base about Rick can't get us to the Sweet 16. Rick can't get us out of the first week in the tournament. The next year, we're 500, no postseason for us. 07, we make it to the NIT semifinal. 2008, we win our last game in the NCAA tournament, and then we lose, I guess it was to Memphis. The next year, we're upset in the first round. 2010, we go to the second round of the NIT, and 2011, no postseason for us, and then 2012, eliminated in the first round again. So things were kind of trending in the wrong direction. Like many of you, I was very embarrassed by the conduct of uh, Elgin Bailey and Renardo Sidney out there in Hawaii. You wake up one morning feeling good about life, turn on the ESPN, one of the top stories on SportsCenter is two of our players throwing hands out of a tournament in Hawaii. We'd kind of lost control of things. We kind of had to compromise a little bit when it came to recruiting. For a long time, we had some very talented players who were also very good citizens. We began to kind of bargain a little bit with ourselves then. Things changed, and then out of the blue, Rick, quote, retires. Rick retires. Stays out of the game for about five seasons and takes over at Western Kentucky and uh, has done a decent job here. Had the one big year uh, back in 18. They go 27-11 and 11 that year but uh, have not made the NCAA tournament during his time there uh, in Bowling Green. All right, so we hire Rick Ray, and here's the thing, too, and I'm going to be really honest about a lot of things on this show today because I want to make sure we kind of get the full picture out there. So the perception about Mississippi State men's basketball was not good when Rick Stansberry retired. There were a lot of people out there that felt, hey, You can't win at Mississippi State unless you cheat. You just can't. Mississippi State's got to cut corners. Mississippi State's not a great basketball school. In order for Mississippi State to make the big dance, you kind of got to sell your soul to the devil and hope the NCAA doesn't catch up and rapture your career or soul. But that was the perception, true or untrue, that was the perception of our men's basketball program. Now, we haven't done a whole lot to kind of change that notion. But there were a lot of people out there, oh, we're going to get Steve Prom, we're going to get this person, that person. There were a lot of people that thought they knew what was going to happen, and we felt like we were really close with Steve Prom, 
And then after the big formal sit-down interview the next day, he called us and pulled out. You know, some of the candidates, and of course I, uh, I worked pretty closely with one of the people that uh, had some intimate knowledge of the search, it was kind of shared with me. There were just people that were afraid that all of a sudden, you know, Renardo Sidney shows up on outside the lines and, you know, spills the beans about everything he knows about our program. And next thing you know, you've taken a job and you're put on NCAA probation through no fault of your own. But that's the perception that people had of us. It was not considered a good job at the time. We went out and chased some candidates, and a lot of people were simply not interested. So we hired Rick Ray who was, what, the second chair at Clemson at the time? Not the first chair, second chair. Rick Ray was a tremendous person. Another guy that just didn't win enough. He takes over. 2013, we go 10 and 22. 10 and 22 and finish 12th in the league that year. 2014, we go 14 and 19 and finished dead last in the SEC. Dead last. 3-15 and 15 that year in the league. 2015, we go 13-19, and 6-12 and 12 in the league. So you can kind of do the math there. It's 13 SEC wins in three seasons. We were 37-60. and 60. Now, I had somebody recently share with me that shortly after all this stuff happened, you know, Rick Stansberry and Rick Ray was hired, that they had told some people of note, that one day Scott Strickland's going to look out of Humphrey Coliseum and they're going to have about 2,500 people there. Proved to be rather prophetic. So when Rick Ray was ultimately released, and there there's some things that I want to tell you about that today that I don't think a lot of people fully know today at this point. You'll be better informed after this. Obviously, the decision had been made earlier in the year is, hey, let's give Rick one more year. Let's give him one more year. Ben Howland was ready to get back into coaching. A lot of people out in the West were kind of hoping he wouldn't take a job in the Pac-12. Next thing you know, he becomes available to us. He has a real interest in coaching in the Southeastern Conference. We see an opportunity to kind of upgrade things. And I understand that Ben Howland had actually already agreed to take the job well before we fired Rick Ray. You know, Rick Ray's out here still trying to find a way to you know, win a tournament game or something in an SEC tournament. And the decision had already been made. So once all that was finalized, it was a bit of a surprise to some of our fans because it was already kind of well known that Rick's going to get one more year. And then, boom, I remember where I was. I was in Brookhaven that day. And I got a phone. No, I wasn't. I was in, uh, I was in Brookhaven, but I was actually running a race that day down in the Homochitta and ran to Brookhaven to get some food. Next thing I know... The phone is lighting up. People are saying, hey, news is about to break. Rick Ray is out. I'm like, what is this? You just told us two weeks ago they're going to keep him. No, he's out. More news to come. And at that point, you're thinking, does that mean there's a scandal? What do you mean more news to come? Well, obviously, the big news was Ben Howen. And I think Brian Haydad said it best recently. It's like that day in the hump when they introduced Ben Howland. It's like you're thinking, is this real? I mean, Ben Howland is in the building. It's like we're introducing a new coach, and it's Ben Howland, he of three consecutive Final Fours. And it was kind of a surreal moment. You begin to think, wow, what a great decision. 
you know, we have spent, you know, four or five years kind of in the doldrums and really kind of bottomed out under Rick Ray. And you bring a guy in who's got an incredible resume. You know, Scott Strickland's a basketball guy. That's his sport. He loves it. And I'm sure when Scott finalized that deal with Ben Howen, he probably thought, you know what? This is it. This gets us back on track. We retired Rick Stansberry. We made a bad hire in Rick Ray. But this is it. This, is, this will resolve all of our men's basketball issues. I shared that same level of optimism. I thought, man, this is great. I remember being out there on the floor of Humphrey Coliseum after the announcement, talking to Ben and his wife. And I said, I can't wait to see how electric this building's going to be when we beat Kentucky one night. I believed it. I said it. I meant it. And I think all of you felt the same way that I did. It's like, you know what? We're going to get back to winning and winning big here at Mississippi State when it comes to men's basketball. It didn't really work out the way that we expected. And here's the thing, too, and I touched on this on the show on uh, Wednesday. You know, you're not, there's not going to be some big story. The bottom line is Ben Howen didn't win enough. There's not some scandal. You don't have any, you know, skeletons in the closet. There's none of that. You know, and, and it's nice to be able to be honest with you. If you have to make a coaching change, to be able to make that coaching change kind of on your own terms. It's nice to say, you know what, we're moving on from a coach simply because he didn't win enough. Not because he did anything wrong, not because he cut corners, not because he put the program at jeopardy. He just simply didn't win enough. And that's the case here with Ben Howen. And that's as honest and as direct as I can say it. You know, and that's interesting, too. Like, I read the Facebook groups, and sometimes people are like, oh, there's got to be more to it. No, there's not any more to it. There's not any more to it. And I think the reality of it is, and I've talked about this on the show many times, you know, our fans have basically said, we're not going to support this basketball program for one reason or another. You know, we've made a lot of excuses. Well, you know, the women are doing good. We'd rather go see the women play. The kids want to get their picture made with Victoria Vivians and Blair Schaefer. I get it. And it's one thing that I'll say, too, you know, Ben, in many respects, kind of kept us all kind of at arm's length. And I think we'd kind of grown accustomed. You know, it's like, you know, hey, I could go down to the Starville Cafe and I could see, you know, Vic Schaefer and they're having breakfast, you know, with people. I could run to Walmart and see Mio Stansberry. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, I, I think in many respects that Ben maybe never fully embraced the community. In the beginning, you know, he brought the, the donuts to the students that were, you know, cramming at the library for midterms. thought that was great. I said, man, what a great gesture to generate interest among our students. And, you know, if we've done that stuff in the last few years, we, we certainly haven't promoted that. And maybe we shouldn't. You know, I don't know. But uh, I know for me, when I saw those things, I thought, man, look at this. How great is this? These young people are in there studying hard, stressing out. And then there's the men's basketball coach from Mississippi State showing up with donuts for everybody. It was great. It seems like a small thing. It seemed like a big thing to me. It really did. I think guys like Sam Purcell are going to be doing that. I mean, Sam may be leading a study hall for all I know. I mean, I'm excited about Sam Purcell. I really am. But my hope is, you know, whoever the new coach is, is we can get that person engaged into our community. And I think that has to happen. 
I think that's one of the reasons that so many of our fans, it's like, well, I'm not going to go to the game. I'm sitting here and watch it at home. And I think part of that is because we just don't feel a vested interest in this program. And maybe part of it's because, you know, we've, we've been kind of kept at arm's length. You know, that's one thing, too, about Rick. It wasn't just that Rick won. You know, because Rick had been an assistant coach here doing some great years. And Rick was a guy, too, that, you know, if he saw you out, he'd say hello to you. I, used to, I mean, I can't count how many times that uh, I would see him after a basketball game and he walks up and says hello. Of his own volition. And so it's like, I got to go to the game because Rick Stansberry expects me to be there. I got to go to the game because I feel like I owe it to Rick. I remember I lived in Baton Rouge, and every time that the Mississippi State basketball came to within a reasonable driving distance, we went to the game because we were expected to be there. We wanted to be there. We wanted to be there to support our team. But we also felt like this was our coach. He wasn't just the coach. He was our coach. He was our guy. We'd made some big memories. And, yeah, listen, there are no perfect coaches. You know, our basketball tradition is not what other people do in this conference. You know, we've been to the Final Four once. What a great time that was, you know, back in 96. And, listen, I get you guys that wanted to kind of speak it into existence this year. This feels like 96 thing, you know. And, and to be fair to Ben Howen, too, we are a talented team. We are not an elite team talent-wise. We don't have a perimeter threat. And that's part of the criticism, I think, in many respects. You look at Ben Howard and you say, hey, this guy constructed the roster. They could have done this. They could have done that. And it's easy to say that in hindsight. They did the best they could, and they simply just didn't win enough. But the reality of it is I think that's part of the issue. I think our fans felt at arm's length. And, you know, we had some decent crowds this year. Of course, you know, we had a big game against Ole Miss. A lot of people turned out. That's usually the case. The rivalry game always kind of gets casual fans to the hump. But the thing that I'll say before I move on is whoever the new coach is, even if it's not your preferred choice, even if you've never heard of this individual until the day they step to the podium, let's give the new guy a chance. Let's turn up. Say, hey, listen, first game in the hop next year, let's have a sellout crowd. Let's have 10,000 people there. Let's go ahead and make that an appointment today. Let's show the new coach. It's like, hey, we believe in the new direction of this program. We're going to be here. We're going to be involved. We're going to be engaged. And we're going to stick with you. We know it's a year. It's going to take you some time to kind of get things right. But let's make it a big night. And Ben Howland's first night was big, too. We had Malik Newman, of course. You know, we were like excited about that. And that didn't work out. And that's not necessarily Ben's fault. But when the new coach is here for the season opener, let's all plan to be here. And you know what? If you can't plan to be here that night, plan to be here that weekend. Let's get the hump roaring again. And let's show not only our new coaching staff, but our players and the rest of this league that we in many ways are kind of a sleeping giant. You know, I remember those great, those great rivalry games with Alabama against Mark Godfrey. You know, oh my gosh, how did we despise Mark Godfrey? And Kennedy Winston, what a great player he was. You hated playing against him. You respected the game, but you, you always cheered against him because those games mattered, and every possession mattered. And I remember coming up, we had a chance to win the West and you know, watching that game, and, and it was electric atmosphere in there. We couldn't wait to get there because we felt like our team needs us to be there 
to help get them over the hump. We've got to make this a difficult place to play for Alabama. And we turned up, and we did, and we won. And it was a great day. Let, we can bring those days back. I don't think it all boils down to marketing. I don't think it all boils down to social media posts and tweets and Instagram comments from the coaching staff or the players. I think we have to have a vested interest in the success of Mississippi State men's basketball. I think we've got to get out there and do our part. You know, it's easy to sit at home. There's so many games now on the SEC network, and everybody's got a smart TV so you can stream it. But you know what? Iverson Molinar can't hear you screaming from your couch. And so I ask you, and really I guess I beg and kind of implore you, let's all commit to being there as best we can in those early games next year. You know, we need to be there all season. But let's really, if we want to change the culture of Mississippi State men's basketball, we can't just do it from afar. We can't just sit back and say, oh, they'll figure it out. No, no. We have one of the most passionate fan bases in the Southeastern Conference. And for one reason or another, we just have not supported men's basketball in recent years. And a lot of it's got to do with losing. And we've talked about it on the show many times. Like every time they suck you back in, you think, okay, I can feel good about this. We lose a game we shouldn't. We had some bad losses this year. Had a couple of nice wins over Alabama and Arkansas, but we never could get over the hump. We couldn't close out Kentucky or Auburn. We were a player short. Free throw short here. Free throw or rebound short here and there. But that's now behind us. So let's really commit ourselves to getting behind these new coaches. And it's one of the things, too, I, I get it. You know, for those of you that live, you know, like in Biloxi or, you know, south of Jackson, it's tough, man. It's tough to get here on a school night. I get it. I do. I remember those nights, though, when my dad, Freddie Robertson, would, uh, you know, we'd jump on the Natchez Trace there and we'd drive up to Mississippi State and go watch a basketball game. And there were a lot of times I slept on the way home and I just felt like the coolest kid in school that I got a chance to go to the game that night. That kind of stuff's exciting, man. It's exciting to, to pack the car and bring the, the kids and go make a memory. And sometimes, you know, for those of us that live here in the area, you kind of take all that for granted. You know, I meet people all over the South when I travel on the book tour, and people are like, man, if I lived in Starwood, I'd go to everything. And there are a lot of people that do. we got some retirees here that uh, their whole life revolves around Mississippi State sports, and God bless them for it. And there are others, you know, we get here, and it's like it becomes so easy not to go. It's like, well, I'll go next week, or I'll go when they play Kentucky, or I'll go when they do this. And, you know, they need us all the time. And I know it's a bit of an imposition at times, but um, – I think it needs to be, you know, an appointment on our calendars. And, you know, for those of you that it is a bit of a trip, you know, hey, let's just maybe plan a weekend trip every now and again and come be a part of all of it. Maybe you can't be a season ticket holder, which brings me to another point. If you are a season ticket holder, please, if you can't make a game, get somebody in your seats. Please put them on Facebook. Hey, two free ones. I mean, you've already bought the tickets. You've already paid for them. Why not gift them to another Bulldog fan? Surely you know, you know a young family in your neck of the woods that you know, maybe they can't afford to, to buy tickets down low and would love a nice family night out. Why not gift them your tickets? Because I'll be honest with you, it looks awful on TV. Awful. Now, granted, we got nobody there. And then you look down low and it's like the, you know, the cameras pan around and you look, wow, how did this happen? So we've got to get a little more. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. 
security probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y, official.com, forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy, E-U-F-Y. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand-new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Involved and engaged with Mississippi State men's basketball. Again, Ben Howland did not win enough. Ben Howland uh, is one of those things, too, that, uh, that kind of scares me a little bit. You know, I mentioned earlier, you know, the perception of our program is that we couldn't win without cutting a bunch of corners. Well, we've had back-to-back coaches that weren't able to get it done. Now, 
there's no way you can compare the Rick Ray tenure to Ben Howland. It's, that's not fair and it's not accurate. But one tournament appearance, 13 seasons. What is it now? Yeah, I think it's right. I'm a little scared maybe they're right. And so I'm determined not to live with that. You know, so let's use all use our platform and our voices and say, hey, let's get to the games. You know, I know, again, I know it's one of those things, too. Maybe it's not cool to go to the men's games. But, you know, if we want the basketball program that we once had and then some, you know, the commitment can't just come from the administration marketing the coaches and the players. We have to honor that commitment with a commitment of our own. That's my honest opinion on it. I'm not sitting here preaching. I'm just telling you what I know to be true. And I know there are some people, too, that you know, Mississippi State men's basketball, to them, that is, the, that is their sport. That is absolutely the best thing going for them. And it pains them. It does. You know, there are many people out there, they're kind of fair-weathered about it. It's like, well, you know, I'm really just more of a football and baseball fan. And when basketball is winning, you know, hey, I'm on board with that, too. You know, I remember there were some pretty lean years in football when Mississippi State men's basketball kind of carried the banner for our athletics department. You know, we go to Omaha with such regularity now, we kind of forget the fact there were a lot of years there where we didn't go. You know, those early 2000s were rough years in Mississippi State football. Women's basketball, you know, was winning a little bit, but we weren't a national power yet. You know, in baseball, of course, we're still trying to find its footing. And so, you know, the reality of it is, is that I think in many ways we owe a debt of gratitude to Mississippi State men's basketball. And now that's not the featured sport here at Mississippi State. And maybe it never will be. But it certainly deserves more support than we provided it. And again, I'm not one that blames the fans. I just think that that is a, a, a big part of the equation for us as we kind of move forward. If we really want a men's basketball program that we can be proud of, then that's part of the, the deal. I mean, and let's ask you this, too. When is the last time, like, just casually walking along, you're out shopping one day? How many times do you run into somebody that's got a Mississippi State men's basketball shirt on? I would venture to you in the last five years, we probably sold more Mississippi State women's basketball apparel than we have men. I mean, think about it. I mean, yeah, everybody wears the M over S, and, and they should. It's a program we've got to be proud of. You walk out there and you got the Air Raid shirts and, you know, there's all that good stuff, the Swing Your Sword stuff. I mean, there's always Mississippi State football apparel. But when's the last time that you just, outside of a game, just walk along out there at the Renaissance, Ridgeland, and you just bump into somebody that's got a Mississippi State men's basketball shirt on? we got to change it. It's up to us. It really is. It's up to us. You know, we've got a new opportunity now. And, again, I'm very grateful uh, to Ben Howland. I've been very critical of Ben Howland over the years. But, uh, you know, now that it's over, I think, you know, with the gift of hindsight, you look and say, you know what? If nothing else, Ben Howland has made Mississippi State basketball healthier. We're not completely healthy, but we're healthier. We're not on our deathbed anymore. We're up walking around. We're up making some things happen. And he has put us in a better position to hire a new coach. Now, there's not a lot of coaches out there that that's their aspiration in life. Nobody says, hey, 
I, I just want to go fix this and put them at a better stop. Uh, but that's the thing. You know, ben Howland was not hired to be a stopgap for us, but in many respects, he kind of has been. And I think now we're getting ready to kind of take off a little bit. I don't think we're too many years away from being back in the tournament. Do I expect it next year? No, I don't. Could we do it in year two? Maybe. I don't know. Got to give the new guy a little bit of time. But that's the thing about basketball is you can turn a roster over pretty quick. It's not like football or even baseball where you need to stack a couple classes together. You do a good job in the portal. You do a good job teaching. do a good job developing. You've got a chance to, to, get, to get right a lot quicker in basketball. And I don't think the turnaround is really that bad, especially when you consider, you know, what's going to happen with players. You know, does Iverson Molinar come back? I mean, there's some discussion Ben Howland shared last week. And how does, how does Iverson feel about the coaching change? Will he just go pro? Decide, hey, I'll just go play internationally? Does he hang around for a year to round out the game? Does Tolu Smith go? I don't know if Tolu Smith's ready to graduate or not. If, if he is a grad transfer, he can leave and be immediately available, eligible. You know, so, you know, we'll see how things go. But um, the reality of it is you can't make a decision based off players. We talked about that after the Novak situation. You can't make that decision. you got to look at the total picture here. You can't say, well, I want to make this higher to make this player happy. You can't look at life that way. You just can't. So, again, grateful to Ben Howland. And uh, we're going to give our prime shrimp player of the game award to Ben Howland. And we thank you, Ben. I know you did your best. It didn't work out the way either of us wanted. But I know you did your best. I don't think you ever dogged it. I won't sit here and say you didn't care. It just didn't work out. And so we can part as friends. I know you'll probably be a little bit bitter for now. And that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm still here. Mississippi State is still here. And uh, many of us have been clamoring for a change for a while. That doesn't discount our level of respect for you and the way you conducted yourself at Mississippi State and the way you represented our university with class. In no way is that diminished. You simply just didn't win enough. And so we don't part on bitter terms, at least on our side. You know, we're just looking – to, to be a tournament team. It's as simple as that. PrimeShrimp.com, it's a great place, and I've got so many people on the jeanspage.com message boards. When Anytime we mention Prime Shrimp, Prime Shrimp is great. It is. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can go read it for yourself. A lot of people are checking it out. A lot of people buying Prime Shrimp. So the Prime Shrimp player to game again, Ben Howland. Go to PrimeShrimp.com today. They've been peeling shrimp in New Orleans since the 1940s and proud to debut all kinds of new products. You can serve restaurant-quality shrimp at your home in under 10 minutes without any of the usual fuss and cleanup. You don't have to peel them. You don't have to devein them. They're ready to eat. All you got to do is open the pouch and drop the pre-seasoned shrimp into a pot of boiling water for just 10 minutes. That's it. What could be easier? It's like I'm going to put a bottle. Here's what I'll do. I'll put a pot on while I go change clothes and get into my more comfortable clothes, get out my work clothes, put on some lounging clothes. When I'm back... I'm going to drop my shrimp in there, and then I'm going to go out and kind of you know, check the mail or whatever. When I come back, I'm done. My shrimp is ready. I got New Orleans-style shrimp ready to roll. And basically the time it takes me to get undressed and get settled up to work. It's great. Ten minutes. Flavors available, signature seasoned, and the French Quarter Alfredo, and then the Louisiana Crab Bowl. Be sure and check it all out. Always money-back guarantee. 
and orders over four pounds shrimp free. Check them out today at primeshrimp.com and use promo code BONEYARD to save a few bucks off that purchase. How about that? Giving you a great product at a discount. Primeshrimp.com, promo code BONEYARD. All right. So we got a few other things we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about the coaching search later in the show. We're going to preview baseball. But now we're going to do the top ten list. So Roy and I spoke about um, if some ideas. Roy is a guy that is kind of obsessed with the top ten list. He likes to know what you guys like. He likes to know what you recommend. He puts these, these very detailed spreadsheets together for me. It has become a big enterprise, to say the least. It started out as filler content during the quarantine, and here we are two years later. It's been incredible. And so this is kind of Roy's project. And so when Roy sends me an idea, unless it's just like something really lame, you know what I mean? Like, Steve, what are your favorite boy bands? No, we're not, we're not, no we've done that list. I'm kidding. And it was in sync. Uh, but that said, Roy sends ideas, and they get my attention because I feel like nobody – is probably more in tune with a good top 10 list than Roy. And so Roy says, hey, how about a top 10 list of artists whose careers were cut short by tragedy? Now, immediately, what came to mind for me, and they didn't make the top 10 list because uh, she continued to move on without them, but I remember how tragic it was when Reba McIntyre's band died in that plane crash, I guess it was. And uh, they brought her out there at the American Music Awards, and she sang by herself, and it was very, I believe it was American Music Awards, maybe maybe been Country Music Awards, I don't remember. They bring her out there, and uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the house or the living room. And so I wanted to give a tip of the cap to those fine folks. And uh, so what we decided to do is this is not going to be anything that's drug-related or suicide-related. And I hate to even say that, because uh, just a lot of those people, too, were just kind of dealing with some unspeakable pain we just couldn't couldn't process that pain, but we didn't do that. But there are some people here that, um, you know, that passed away you kind of unexpectedly, you know, through tragedy. And so that's what this is. This is 10 artists whose careers were cut short by tragedy. All right, number 10 on the list, and we're going back a few years. I have watched a documentary about this. It's called The Two Killings of Sam Cooke. If you have not seen it, I encourage you to watch it. I have always known that there was some controversy around Sam Cooke's death, and I'll be honest with you, after watching that documentary, I am all the way in believing that this was basically a political assassination. I don't know if I agree with his politics or not, but I know that he has began to kind of uh, surround himself with some people that uh, were under maybe perhaps the watchful eye of the federal government. And I believe Sam Cooke was a political assassination. I, I do. And uh, Sam Cooke, if you are unfamiliar with Sam Cooke, I begin to wonder what you're doing with your life. For a lot of people out here, big Motown fans, and Sam Cooke has one of the most soulful and most beautiful male voices of all time. Of all time. There, and you've heard him. You may not know that you've heard him, but you absolutely have. Sam Cooke, a tremendous talent, gone far too soon. I went with Chain Gang. And uh, there's, a, there's a million you could go from, you know, we've done uh, A Change Is Gonna Come. That's probably his most famous song. Uh, Baby, You Send Me, all, all that, or You Send Me. There's so many great ones. But I went with Chain Gang because I thought it kind of fit, kind of fit our list today. It's a little more aggressive for Sam. 
But uh, what an incredible performer. Absolutely true. And I, and I could have included Marvin Gaye. We didn't. I know some people are going to be like, Steve, how could you? We didn't. Number nine, and I know that I've got one friend in particular that listens to every boneyard that is going to be very critical of where this individual is on the list. Your number nine artist is John Lennon. Steve, how could he be number nine? And here's why. I believe, as painful as it is to say, John Lennon was at the end of his career. That's unfair, Steve. No, no. John had already achieved the greatest stardom in the history of the world with the Beatles and then had some good success as a solo artist. And some of the artists ahead of him on the list, I think, still had several good years left. So you may disagree, but I got John Lennon, number nine. I remember like it was yesterday. I think we're watching Monday Night Football. And they break in to tell us that John Lennon had been assassinated. John had been shot down outside of his apartment by a guy that wanted to get some girl's attention. You know, it's like, what? It's incredible, man. One of the greatest talents of our lifetime. Shot and killed. I decided to go with watching the wheels on this one. And a lot of people would have gone, imagine. We've done a lot of that before. Woman's another great one, too. But I thought watching the wheels kind of fit today. Number eight, and you can say, Steve, you're following John Lennon with this. I am, because I believe this young lady had a lot of hits left in her career. I'm talking about Aaliyah. I remember when, uh, when Aaliyah hit, hit the deal, you know, it's like all of a sudden when she was uh, on the radio, one of those Timberland creations, you know what I mean? Like he was, they were working together. Uh, Missy Elliott was also one of the uh, producers, and it's like everything is going big here. She was uh, an actress, but she was a tremendous singer. And uh, so we kind of rolled through this, and we lose her in a plane crash out in the Bahamas. Just really, really, really disappointing. And uh, it was a real shock to the world of music. And, of course, because she was so incredibly beautiful and so incredibly talented, you know, people are like, how can someone not even yet in the peak of their career, somebody that's just really beginning to, uh, you know, to get there, is lost. Had some big hits, obviously. Uh, you know, Try Again, of course, was, uh, was a big one for her. It's just one of those things, too. It's like one of, it's one of the things I hope to, to find out at some point in life is, you know, is why do young people die? You know, a lot of young people that are really talented. And, you know, it's, it's one thing when people, you know, self-inflict their own demise. You can kind of wrap your mind a little bit around that. Something like this, though, is just different. Something like this, to me, just kind of, you look at it and you just, you just kind of wonder why. And that's how it was for me. I was just like, you know, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand, you know, how this happened or why this happened. It's just... Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think a lot of you probably felt the same way. And my hope is that um, you know, her legacy is not forgotten. Of course, uh, I mentioned she was a very talented actress. She's done a couple TV series and some major feature films. Romeo Must Die was one of them. That's a big one for her, too. Um, they've actually uh, re-released some stuff from hers this year, if you're unfamiliar. Maybe go check that out. You probably should. But our song today 
from Aaliyah is probably the most recognizable. It's Are You That Somebody? And it's got the baby on it. All right, yeah, that's one you know now. Yeah, Timbaland works in the kind of a baby as a backup vocalist. Be sure and check it out. There's just so much to like about her. And uh, it is. It's really a tragedy. You know, that, again, somebody so incredibly talented is taken at such a young age. Uh, number seven, another tragic accident here. We've talked about him on the show. We've done a top ten list. I've uh, featured a couple different songs from him from different bands. It's Dimebag Daryl. Another needless tragedy. It's one of those two, if I talk about it long enough, I can get angry about it all again. I've had some friends that, uh, you know, have gone to uh, Daryl and Benny's graves there in Dallas and and paid their homage. I have not been able to do that. And, um, you know, one day, I guess it's in Arlington. One day I will. Dimebag Daryl is uh, is a guy, Daryl Abbott, of course, originally called Diamond Daryl. And then uh, as the music got a little harder, he changed to Dimebag Daryl. But most people refer to him as Dime. But Dime is a guy that, um, you know, they had all kind of trouble with Phil Anselmo and, you know, Pantera was on break and they put together Damage Plan, which uh, was a really nice little quartet there. Pantera's, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's like you begin to look, you know, this short time they had and how they really kind of changed, you know, heavy music. And Daryl was the guy that could kind of play rhythm and lead at the same time. He's just one of those kind of guys that's just absolutely phenomenal. How it ended, pretty sad. Diamond Damage Plan are playing in um, Columbus, Ohio. In December 8th, a guy pulls a gun and shoots down back Daryl on stage, kills him. Ends up shooting Rex Brown, too. And Rex basically held the, the, the gunman down and was shot multiple times and lived. There was just so much involved in all that. Maybe I'm, I'm not getting all the details right about that last part, but um, but the reality of it is is that um, you know we had somebody, some disturbed individual, that um, went to a show and decided to kill a rock music legend. So in honor of Dime, we're going to go with Pantera's "Walk." You heard that at uh, Davis Wade many times as a defensive pump up. I love that track. "Walk on Home, Boy." All right, number six, and you would say, well, Steve, you've got this one ranked in front of uh, Don Bagdarrell. Yes, because Don Bagdarrell did have some success with Pantera, and I think this this other band that we're about to talk to was just really beginning to kind of get things together. I think it was an outrageous front man and, and uh, recently inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think he went in last year, and it's uh, Mark Boland from T-Rex. T-Rex, there are so many people that really owe a debt of gratitude to T-Rex because Mark Bolin was so incredibly flamboyant and nobody was really doing what he was doing, not just wardrobe-wise, but on stage. He was very much in your face and not really like in a Johnny Rotten sort of way. They had several albums that that came out um, and it all ended, but there was so much of that in the beginning that was just, you know, basically, let's go cut a record and not put anything behind it. And then these guys hit the road and kind of built a following themselves. And then Mark Bowen, sadly, back in September of 1977, they had a car accident. And uh, he had a mini 
GT that he crashed into a tree. And that ended up being the end of it. He died just two weeks before his 30th birthday. So T-Rex, a band that was really a pioneer of the 80s rock scene in many respects. Gone too soon. Mark Bowen from T-Rex. We're going to go with 20th, 20th Century Boy. A lot of you would go with Bang a Gong, which uh, the Power Station covered and had a big hit with it as well. But we're going 20th Century Boy. You probably heard that opening riff on uh, commercials all around the, the world. Number five, and again, this is somebody that had some acclaim as an artist, also had some controversy in their life, but uh, died too soon, and that's George Michael. People say, Steve, how do you go from Dimebag Daryl to T-Rex to George Michael? Well, it's because I respect artists, even the ones that may not be necessarily uh, in my wheelhouse. I think George Michael is an incredible songwriter, was an incredible songwriter, and uh, lived a very, very sad life. I mean, you look at a guy like that and you say, look how handsome he was, how incredibly talented he was, and you would think he had it all. He was a guy that had a lot of demons and really, really struggled uh, with, uh, with life kind of being comfortable with who he was and he'd kind of reached a point where he had found some normalcy and then he ends up um, I believe it was a heart attack that we lost George Michael to and uh, I think one of the most probably I won't even just say poignant is the right word to describe it it is one of those songs that you you think to yourself I could have never written this but I believe every word of it and it's a song praying for time and if you're unfamiliar with the song, it's basically talks about, um, you know, people always talk about the rapture and things of that nature and say, well, maybe the rapture hadn't happened because Christ doesn't have anybody to come back for. You know, and that's, it's met metaphorically, and it's basically kind of encouraging us to be better people and uh, that, you know, maybe we should all be praying for time you know, to kind of, to cleanse ourselves. But uh, I think it is an incredible song in many respects. And uh, I do think George Michael's a guy, too, that uh, lived a little bit recklessly. But at the same time, too, uh, it's a shame that when he does finally kind of get things together, you know, he's gone. Uh, number four, and I was a huge fan of the band, this trio, this Southern hip-hop R&B powerhouse, TLC. Uh, if I, I'll be honest with you. I thought Lisa left out Lopez was the greatest. Chili was probably my favorite in the band. You know what I mean? Like if, if I was going to ask some girl to dance, I would have asked Chili. But uh, Lisa left out Lopez. I thought, number one, she was kind of a volatile personality. Incredibly talented. And uh, again, she dies in a car accident. And um, again, you know, she had this rocky relationship with Andre, Andre Risen, formerly of Michigan State, that was a star receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. She ended up burning his house down. How crazy is that? Um, but she died tragically. And if I'm not mistaken, it was like on a relief mission. I think that's what they were doing is out like delivering supplies and stuff. I don't think it was just a vacation. And then there's this car accident. And uh, they said that she probably something she should have lived from. She probably should have survived, but she didn't. So going back to the first album, to Ooh on the TLC tip, we're going with What About Your Friends? Great tune and still very timely. Number three, and we could go a lot of different directions here. Let me go ahead and tell you now, Biggie Smalls is not on my list. I wasn't a huge Biggie guy. I respect the talent. I just never really got it. I know many of you are like, Steve, Biggie's one of the coolest of all time. I get it. It's kind of like the Nirvana thing. I can't make myself like it. 
I, I can't. But I, I do admit Biggie Smalls, an incredibly talented guy and uh, very tragically killed needlessly. Number three on the list, though, Steve Ray Vaughan. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Pretty incredible guitar player. Love his fashion style, his sense, everything that he did on stage. He was incredible. Died in a helicopter accident. One of them, a modern day blues guy, and he was a guy too that had such an appreciation for the guys that came before him. He covered a lot of that stuff. He wanted to keep those songs alive, and sadly we lose him. His brother Jimmy, of course, the lead guitar player, the T-Birds, Fabulous Thunderbirds. But I went with Tightrope here. I know many of you were thinking Steve's going to go Pride and Joy. I didn't. I went Tightrope. I kind of liked the, the organ part on this too, not just the guitar part. I thought that they, they provide a pretty good bed to put the Tightrope over. Uh, number two, in my mind, one of the most instrumental musicians, influential musicians of my generation, and I remember him when he was uh, a stage dancer for the Digital Underground long before many of you knew that. It's Tupac Shakur. And I think Tupac, while irreverent at times, was an agent for change in many respects. I think Tupac Shakur was a guy that that spoke articulately about very sensitive issues. There were other people that were talking about him too, but they kind of yelled them at middle America. And so people rejected that on principle. I think Tupac, because number one, he was so incredibly intelligent and a remarkable lyricist. I think he was able to kind of get his point across in a way that people could understand. You know, when somebody's yelling at you, you don't even listen. You know what I mean? It's like you just kind of put your hand up, you kind of tune them out. I think Tupac was the guy that was able to deliver that message in a way that people are like, hey, there really are some issues here, and that's not in any way to say that we fixed them. But I think that he was in, in many ways a spokesman for this generation, but also, too, for his people. And... uh I remember when he got shot the first time, and then he comes back and you think he's going to live forever. And uh, you guys know the songs. I mean, you do. He talked about it, and he wore that. He wore it like a badge of honor. You know, Hit Him Up is a classic song. It's one of the greatest diss tracks in the history of rap music. It's amazing. I went with the song Changes, though, because honestly, I think that is probably, in my mind, the song. For Tupac Shakur. I think when I look back at his career, I think that's the most important thing that he ever recorded. And um, there's so many other great ones out there. But that's the one to me. I think when he, he was socially relevant and he was so in tune with social issues, it wasn't just a situation of, you know, just about, you know, drugs and money. That wasn't the situation for him. Even though he, he lived in many ways violently and died violently, it's, uh, it's really a sad situation. But I do. I, I miss the fact that we're not going to have any Tupac Shakur music. Maybe there's some locked around some way in some studio and somebody's waiting for the right time to release it, or maybe Tupac's out there with Elvis on some island. But uh, it's really sad. But number one for me, maybe you guys see life differently, but it's uh, Randy Rhodes. Randy Rhodes. And I've told you guys before, I think the Jakey Lee years were the best Ozzy years. That's true. But I think... Kind of like the Ben Howland thing. I think it's a situation where you kind of pick up on that. That Jake benefited from the foundation that Randy laid. An incredible guitarist. Got to have an incredible image, incredible stage presence. 
And when he died, again, it was a little plane crash situation. It's like it just blows your mind to begin thinking about you know, all of that. And it's like, how did this guy so incredibly talented die like that? It's just like it's astonishing to me, you know, why so many young people die. And I know that that's, that's part of the circle of life. But, you know, Randy is one that I really struggled with. You know, of course, I was a teenager. And, and um, it's one of those things, too. It's like, I, you know, if you were in the metal scene, you get it. I mean, metal is the music for outsiders. You know what I mean? It's just, you know. And so there is a community of metal people, even to this day, that, uh, you know, there's, it's, a, it's family in many respects. Like when I go to a show and we're down there on the floor, up against a barricade, it's like, hey, it's all family down here. And it is. Everybody looks out for each other. You, know, you hold spots for each other. You don't let people get uh, you too deep in the jug, I guess. You don't let people get in fights. You kind of look out for each other. And so when we lost a, you know, a, a miller member of our community, someone we'd never met, it just seemed so unfair. It just did. You know, you, never, you, know, you don't wish death on anybody, but it's one of those things you think, man, if – if something like this had to happen, why did it have to be Randy Rhodes? But everybody out there has got somebody that loves him. At least I hope so. But with Randy, let's go crazy train. Let's end on a high note. Crazy train. And it does. It makes me kind of, even now, thinking about the Randy Rhodes stuff, it makes you kind of sad. You know, it's been a long time. It has been. But um, you're a pretty incredible guy, man. And I don't know if you, got, you know this. One of the last pictures ever taken of Randy Rhodes was taken by a Mississippi State student. And it's in uh, in the music store here in town. Right up there on 12. What's the name of that store? Hang on. It's Backstage Music. That's right. It's Backstage Music. Be sure. Go in there. That's a local group, too, man. Go in there and throw some money their direction. If you're looking for anything, go by. Check them out. And you can see that picture of Randy Rhodes there. Taken by a Mississippi State student. And back in those days, it wasn't like it is today. You had to sneak your cameras in. And lo and behold, this Mississippi State student who had gone through the show, I think it was in Knoxville, and uh, snuck this picture, and it proved to be one of the last pictures ever taken. Now, there is some dispute about that. There are people saying, well, there was a picture he took backstage uh, with a couple of girls, and that's considered the last picture. But So let's just say this is the last picture taken on stage of Randy performing, and it's here in Starkville, Mississippi, a piece of rock and roll history right here in Starkville, Mississippi. Go by and check that out, but don't just go see the picture. Like, you know, go buy some stuff, too. You know, buy, buy some songbooks or for friends of yours to play music. Buy some guitar picks and put them in your drawer or whatever. Don't just go by there and, uh, and see the pick. But go, go in there and let those guys help you out. Great guys in there. Matter of fact, I bought my, my PV amp from them here a couple of years ago, and uh, they were so incredibly helpful with everything because I am really, really bad at playing guitar. But sometimes I just like to plug in and play, and those guys make it a lot easier for me. So go by and check them out. That's an unpaid solicitation for those guys. Just thought you guys might want to go see the Randy Rhodes pick. How about that? All right, time to move on. Next segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookmart.net. Longtime sponsors of the show. Great people doing a great job at a great price. Be sure and go check them out today. You can find them right off the Mississippi State campus. Go by and see standing man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. They're right there to help you. They'll treat you like family because in their minds you are family. Simple as that. If you can't make it to town, or perhaps you live like in a foreign land, I don't know, somewhere like Texas, uh, they can take care of you online. Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net and by being a loyal Boneyard listener, that's BSR. That's a promo code we're going to give you. BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, they get you free shipping on all orders, over $50, any order, less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Stand a man's on demand. 
on demand. Be sure and go by and check them out today. All right, so let's get into what's next for Mississippi State men's basketball. All right, as you are well aware, there are several names out there connected to our job. Most of the national media buzz centers around Chris Jans. That is not an accident. Chris Jans is clearly a candidate for this job. There are a lot of people out there to support him, and, and here's one of the reasons why. They got wins. We talked about that on Wednesday. The reality of it is, is I don't think Mississippi State is going to wait very long to name a successor to Ben Howen. Now, is that Chris Jans? Possibly. Maybe even probably. Then there is Todd Golden from San Francisco. Another guy that uh, doesn't have a big body of work, but also a guy, too, that uh, I understand has had some serious interest in the job. He is a Bruce Pearl disciple. You guys are well acquainted with Bruce Pearl and the success he had at Tennessee and now at Auburn. Recently signed a lifetime contract at Auburn. I think there's a possibility he could succeed Bruce Pearl at Auburn. He's got it. It was an assistant coach there for a couple seasons. Uh, knows the culture. Knows our league. So we'll see how things progress. And then, of course, there's Matt McMahon from Murray State. Murray State is a program that's uh, kind of plug and play. It coaches. What I mean by that is they have a culture there, a really good basketball culture. Now, the degree of difficulty in that league is not what it is at some places. But I think those three are probably the leading three. That's not to say they're the only three. Of course, there's Nico Medved at Colorado State. They were upset today by Michigan. A bit of a surprise, to say the least. And uh, they were doing a great job. You know, running their sets and getting some open looks from three and knocking it down early, and then Michigan kind of stepped it up on the perimeter defense, and Colorado State struggled to score. Michigan did a good job, too. Fast break points. You know, finding a way to get out and run, not letting Colorado State, you know, kind of set up their defense. And if you recall, Colorado State beat Mississippi State this year, and I think that really puts Nico Medved as a guy. It's, it's a candidate for this job. I don't think he is a priority candidate, but I said, we ended up hiring him. I'd be perfectly okay with that. A lot of discussion about Bob Ritchie from Furman. There's been a lot of chatter about him potentially being the candidate for the South Carolina job. Of course, uh, Sean Miller's name being thrown around a little bit there with South Carolina. You know, we'll see. And as I mentioned last week on the show, you know, some of these new openings kind of convolutes the issue a little bit. I don't know that LSU – Knew for certain they were going to make a coaching change until they got the notice of allegations. But uh, if they expected to get an NOA that didn't have an allegation against Will Wade, they're a little bit foolhardy, to say the least. I think Mississippi State has been involved in this process for some time now. And that's the thing about athletic directors. They always have a short list. They always keep a short list, you know, in their top drawer of their desk, right? It's like, if I have to make a change, here's some people I want to talk to. And so I believe that John Cohen has acted very judiciously throughout this process. I think he has given Ben Howen time to right the ship in many respects. But at the same time, you can do that while you're vetting out candidates. I believe that process, let me just say, I know that process has been going on for some time in the chance that you had to make a change. I don't think Mississippi State makes a change just for the sake of change. Even though we all probably agree it was time for us to make a change in the direction of our men's basketball program. All of that said, I don't think this is something that's going to tarry for very long. 
many of the candidates that are in consideration for this job are playing tonight or tomorrow. So within the next few days, some of these candidates, their teams will be eliminated from the NCAA tournament. Now, are we going to go out and get a blue blood coach? No, we are not. A lot of people would say, let's go get so-and-so. Let's go, let's go spend the money and do that. That's not going to happen. We're going to go out and get an up-and-comer from what is considered kind of a G5, a mid-major type program. The names that I've mentioned are all very, 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 very capable coaches. Uh, you look at some of these guys and you begin to think, okay, I look at what they have done with less resources. What would they do here? You know, we're renovating Humphrey Coliseum, and that's another thing, too, that I wanted to get back to. I saw some comments about how we should have delayed renovations in Humphrey Coliseum to play the NIT game here. And let me just say this as nicely as I can, with as much kindness and earnestness that I can command. We should never have delayed the renovations for Humphrey Coliseum for an NIT game. We shouldn't be in the NIT in the first place. We should be a team that's playing on a neutral court in an NCAA tournament game. That's where we should be. So, no, we shouldn't have to make these changes and jump through hoops and push the renovations back because at what point do you say, okay, well, listen, this is enough? Well, you're talking basically two weeks. What if we continued to win at home? And you go all the way to Madison Square Garden, and then all of a sudden you put the contractors really up against it. So the renovations have already begun. And what I mean by that is, you know, they're marking stuff off. They're getting ready to do demolition. There's a lot of things they're going to do out there, and they're going to need all the time to get it done to make sure that we have that facility ready to go. That's the bigger priority, not an NIT game. I know people are like, well, we probably would have won if we were at home. Probably so. But why prolong the process? There is a bigger picture here and not just an NIT game, and that is the betterment of our men's basketball program. And a big part of that, obviously, is the renovation of the Humphrey Coliseum. And as you guys recall, you know, the first phase of renovations is going to involve the fan experience, making it uh, a better experience for you all to come out and attend games, which is another reason why we should plan, you know, next year to come out and be a part of that. You know, it's going to be a long process, it is not going to be an easy process. There are a lot of people that are going to work very, very hard to ensure that we have a basketball arena that uh, you know is light years ahead of where we have what we currently have. Now, some people would suggest, well, Steve, why didn't we just build a new arena? Well, have you seen the cost of materials lately? You know, basically, we would spend uh, you know, let's just say if we're going to spend a you know 150 million dollars to build an arena, it's probably going to be similar to what we already have. In order to get a facility like we would really like to have, you know, it's just not cost effective at this point. We'd be upside down in that thing for, you know, the next generation. So that, that wasn't the right decision. Now, can we renovate what we currently have and make it a better experience? Yeah, we can. Would it be as nice as a brand new arena? No. Is it going to change the exterior of the hump? No. But it is going to change the atmosphere inside the facility. And so we're excited about that. We're excited to have change. We're excited to see some money invested in men's basketball. There are a lot of people out there to think, well, if it's not about baseball, nobody really cares. That's false. That's absolutely false. And trust me, there, there's, a, there's a laundry list of things I think we need to do to Duty Noble Field. You can say, well, Steve, it's brand new. It's true. We still need to do something about general admission seating. And I think that's a big issue. And, and let's be honest, you know, our, our baseball crowds on Tuesday – 
you know, dwarf what we get in, in basketball. More of you are turning out to watch baseball than you are men's basketball. And so you could say, well, we'll spend the money where we're making money. But the reality of it is, is we, we've got to allocate some funds to get all of our facilities upgraded. As you guys are well aware, too, we're about to write a $6 million check to build a next level clubhouse for our softball team. That needed to happen. It's as simple as that. And it's not necessarily just a requirement, but it's to really show a commitment uh, to Coach Samantha Ricketts and Tyler Bratton and our staff there to give them a recruiting edge. So we're spending this money to renovate the hump. And so we need to make sure that we have a coach that can lead us into the new era of Mississippi State men's basketball. I believe what we have to have, as I mentioned earlier, we've got to have somebody that is uh, involved with our fan base, people that are willing to get out, you know, come to your alumni events and speak, come out there and share some time with you, take pictures, sign autographs, that sort of stuff, to be accessible to the fan base. I think that is very, very important when it comes to marketing our men's basketball program. I don't think Sam Purcell is going to have any problem. I don't think he's ever met a microphone he didn't like. I think that's a guy that enjoys getting out and speaking and sharing his vision. And we need somebody similarly situated on the men's side. We need somebody that's going to go out there to our fans, somebody that's going to be willing to go out and meet with the fraternities and the sororities and say, hey, we need you guys to help kind of champion our attendance in the student section. Yeah, and it's I, I read comments sometimes when people are so critical of our students, and yeah, you know, there's just you know, I, there are a lot of people that would rather sit home and watch Netflix and go out there and watch us lose a basketball game. We've got to change the perception of our men's basketball program, and it all starts with winning games. People want to support a winner. It's like, what are you going to do tonight? Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go have a, a drink or two and, and and talk to these girls. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go to Hump and watch us lose. You know, to Vanderbilt. That's got to change. And so the students are the lifeblood. And, yes, I am a proponent for moving them closer to the floor. I think that they are the people that uh, really kind of set the tone for the crowd. And there are a lot of people, too, that are there to be entertained. Our students are not really there to be entertained. Our students are there to be a part of the experience. And so in many respects, they are the ones that really get Humphrey Coliseum on their feet. I remember those days, like many of you do, when – when you'd walk in the hop, and as soon as you walked in and a team came out on the floor, there was just this roar from every nook and cranny of Humphrey Coliseum. We've got to get back to that. And I think a lot of that involves our students. We've got to make the students know that they matter. We have to. And I understand the new configuration of the hump. There are going to be some students closer to the floor. It won't be the entire student body but we are going to bring them down some. Don't know all the details behind that. We'll hope to get that information for you sooner rather than later. But the bottom line is, is that uh, we have got to make changes all the way around. And I think whoever the new coach is, let's be open-minded about it. Even if it's not our favorite coach, even if we don't get the guy that we want, because that's the thing too. I, I notice the social media age has kind of given everybody a voice, good, bad, or indifferent. There are a lot of people that have strong opinions about what should happen at Mississippi State, and then they don't really know what's going on. They're like, well, I don't understand. Why don't we go hire Bobby Knight? Well, well, well here's why. You know, or why don't we go hire Coach K? Or why don't we go do that? You know, there's just, a lot of those things are not practical. And then there are some people out there that will throw some names out there of candidates, and it's like, well, why don't we hire Doug Novak to coach the men? Guys, all due respect to Doug Novak. 
But don't you think we can do a little bit better on the men's side? It's like this is a guy, yeah, a fan favorite, no doubt. But if we really want to change the direction, you know, why go get, you know, somebody with limited experience at Division One level? I think we can expect more than that. And, again, that's not a criticism of Doug Novak. He's done a great job for us under difficult circumstances. But going out and giving him the men's job, that, that's, that's, that's the old Mississippi State way of doing things. I don't even think Dirty Noble would have done that. You know, we're going to have to go out there and bring some new blood and some new life to this men's basketball program. And a big part of that, obviously, is going to be the coach and then, of course, the, uh, the new amenities for our fans to get you guys back in Humphrey Coliseum. We have let it get a little bit antiquated. We have. We've done some things to upgrade, and, and what we're about to do is something that hadn't been done in generations. I mean, there hadn't been a lot of renovation done at Humphrey Coliseum since it was built. And so when people come in there, you know, it's, it's not as nice as what they see in other places. Not that we have a lot of fans that travel other places, but recruits do. You know, they come into our place so we can show that we're committed to men's basketball, and I don't know if that's really the message that we've sent at times. There's no doubt that we're committed to football and baseball. You know, I think on the women's side of things, you know, you know, Vic Schaefer's a guy, too, that, um, you know, wanted this and wanted that and wanted this. And I think in many respects, because we did it for the women, we did it for the men, so the men kind of benefited, too. But, you know, I, I think we've got to have a coaching staff that kind of works in concert with our marketing people, our event management staff, to make sure that everybody's on the same page to give you all the best experience you can possibly get. All right, let's take a look at Georgia. This segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You guys are well aware, this is a, a great residential development just on the outskirts of Starkville, 1.1 miles away. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Uh, go by and check it out today, which reminds me, too, I didn't give you guys uh, Blair's information either. I'll do that after this 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 commercial. Uh, so, Portico, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. You can get a two-bedroom, two-bath home up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Be sure and go check that out. You'll be glad you did. Uh, whether it be your retirement home or perhaps your primary residence, it's where you want to be. Portico is a great place. If I was moving to Starkville now, it's where I would move. And Brooks Bryan, a guy that uh, knows a lot about Mississippi State, a guy that understands Starkville, a Mississippi guy, a Mississippi State guy through and through, trying to bring a great place to live to one of the greatest places to live in all of Mississippi. Give Brooks a call or text today at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Well, next time you're in town, leave a few minutes early and take that turn onto 12 off of 82. The very first ride, you've passed it a million times coming to campus, is Pat Station Road. Take that, cross a four-way stop, and boom, there's Portico. Go by and check it out yourself. You don't have to make an appointment with a real estate agent. Just go see for yourself. Phase one completely sold out. Phase two, phase two under development now. Which reminds me, maybe get it financed with our friend Blair Chandler at closewithblair.com. They sponsor the top ten list, and today I got a little bit busy, and uh, you know, I'm off my game. I'm not used to recording on Thursday. But go see Blair at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R. And here's the deal, too. It doesn't matter if you're a Mississippi State fan or not. If you listen to the show, if you are a boneyard person, and everybody should be, he's going to give you your appraisal for free. A lot of fees associated with refinancing a mortgage or buying a house. 
And Blair's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to make it worth your while. Let me knock some of those fees out of the way for you. It's about a $500 value. And if you end up financing that, you pay an interest on that. So it's nice to get that taken care of. Uh, again, visit Blair with Close with Blair.com. Uh, he's with Fairway Mortgage. Been in the mortgage industry 21 years. Top 1% close ratio for everybody in the country. Not just in Wiggins, not just in Pisgah, nationally. This is a guy that's a mortgage professional and works for Fairway Mortgage, recently named number one in customer satisfaction, had the second highest closed volume in the country for 2021. So you got the closer working for a company that knows how to get your loans closed. They're going to do a great job doing it. Give Blair a text or call today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. All right, as you fine folks are aware, Mississippi State will be at the University of Georgia for a three-game series to open SEC play. Those games, and of course, weather permitting tomorrow, it will be a rainy drive to Athens, which is another reason I'm going to leave a little bit early. Uh, that game will begin at 6 p.m. That's when it's scheduled to begin. I will get you updated as I get information once I'm on the scene there. Now, the university may up, update it. may not play in two on Saturday. We'll see. It looks like weather for Saturday and Sunday looks really good. Expected to play Saturday at 1 p.m. Central Time. And then, of course, 11 a.m. on Sunday. How about that? That's a pretty good start for the getaway day. Uh, so those are your three game times. Be sure and uh, check that out. Let's look at the Georgia Bulldogs. Having a pretty good year so far. 14-3. and three. That's probably about where we should be, if we're being honest with ourselves. So they uh, – Played some exhibitions earlier this year. That's stuff that really matter. They opened the year with a three-game sweep of Albany. Albany. I don't know if you know much about Albany. And there's a reason you shouldn't. Not necessarily, you know, college baseball powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Georgia handles those guys, though, 4-2-7-6 and then 9-1. Uh, decent pitching, obviously, from Scott Strickland's uh, staff there. Uh, reality of it is, is that, uh, you know, they're not known as a baseball powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination. And a lot of those northern teams have to play in the south, as we would expect them to. But, um, you know, that, that's a program, obviously, that uh, is really kind of known more for their, you know, more for their basketball than they are for their baseball. So not necessarily a, you know, a huge series win. But it's one of those things, too, you look at, and you're just kind of happy to have the opportunity to get some some doves under your belt. The Albany Great Danes are 9-5 this year. And, of course, three of those losses came to the University of Georgia. All right, then they play Wofford. And some would say it's Wolford. I think I said Wolford for years, and one of you reached out and said, Steve, it's Wofford. They beat them 7-1 at Foley Field. The next weekend, they take down the Akron Zips. 1-0, 10-0, 7-2, a three-game sweep of the Zips. The one nothing thing jumps out to me. You know, these Georgia teams in recent years have not been especially offensive. They've always been very, very good pitching-wise. You know, so we'll see how things go. But I, I expect some low-scoring games, which means that defense is important. Walks are important. Uh, looking at the Zips, in case you're unfamiliar with the Zips, they're 3-10 and 10 this year. 3-10. and 10. They've played a pretty ambitious schedule, I guess you'd say. They went to Louisville and Georgia. Yeah, so good for them for getting out and playing some, some teams there. But, again, uh, Georgia, in many respects, hadn't played anybody with the exception of Georgia Tech. 
course, they have the second game with Wofford and uh, beat those guys 7-6. They lose two to Georgia Tech. They salvage the Sunday game there in Lawrenceville, Georgia, on a neutral field at Cool Ray Field. They then lose a Tuesday game to Georgia Southern, 13-5. They respond on Wednesday with a 5-1 win over uh, the fighting Jared Bankos. And then, of course, uh, they have Lipscomb last week, and they take all three of those. I don't know if you're familiar with Lipscomb baseball. And those folks up there are pretty proud, too, at Lipscomb. I mean, you know, we, we played them in soccer a couple of years ago, uh, and they had a nice turnout. They, they really did. They, we played them here in an NCAA tournament game, Mississippi State's first ever hosting opportunity for soccer. Uh, and, they, and they came down here and beat us. Their goalkeeper was outstanding. Uh, 10-7 on the year for Lipscomb. And ironically, they end up playing Akron as well. So, you know, again, a team that's kind of middle of the road, I guess, in some respects, you wouldn't look at them and say they're a baseball power. They take care of South Carolina Upstate in the midweek, in the Tuesday game. So when I look at this and you say, hey, Steve, they're 13-3, and three, that's true, 14-3, excuse me. But the only team you look at and say, you know what, this is an NCAA regional caliber team is Georgia Tech. Now, you could look at the Mississippi State schedule and make some of the same comments. Is that we have not played, maybe with the exception of Texas Tech, a surefire NCAA regional team. So I think this is a deal where we're actually pretty even. Now, we're going to play at their place. And uh, we pr- we pretty decent road team last year, in case you've forgotten. Uh, but this this is a series, if we are going to be in the hosting discussion, we got to go win a series like this. This Georgia team is a good team. I don't think they are an elite team. I think this is one of those teams, too, that um, you go down, you get two out of three, it puts you in a really good position the rest of the way. To, to get an SEC road dub is huge. Now, let's look inside the numbers here. Cole Tate having a really good year for those guys. A grad student originally from Bishop, Georgia. I don't know if you're familiar with Bishop, Georgia. But, uh, yeah, a grad student guy – you know, done, have done a pretty good job there, obviously, for them. Uh, he's got a twin brother on the team as well, Connor. So, grad student there and uh, old wins in baseball in this league. But Cole Tate hitting 373, leads a team with 28 doubles, three triples as well. Excuse me, 28 hits. Read my notes wrong. Uh, does have three doubles, one dinger, and just the nine RBIs. Ben Anderson. Right there with him. Has played in two less games, so he's got about 24 less at-bats. Also hitting 373. A 6'1", 175-pound outfielder from LaGrange, Georgia. Also a graduate student. So you got a couple of veteran guys that have seen SEC pitching. Uh, doing a pretty good job for them. Their catcher is Corey Collins, a sophomore out of Sewanee, Georgia. Went to North Gwinnett. It's a really good baseball school if you're unfamiliar. Uh, Corey Collins, a guy, too, expected to be drafted, will be a good player for them and, and has the offensive tools, too. 352 uh, as a batting average, six, six doubles, and then leads a team with six home runs. So this is a guy you look at and say, okay, we need to kind of pay attention to him in the order. Josh McAllister has uh, started 13 games for them, played in 15. Uh, Josh hitting a cool 333, and another veteran guy, a redshirt senior uh, from Cumming, Georgia. You're familiar with that school? Yeah, Cumming, Georgia. That's where Landon Sims is from. So you know what kind of program they've got there. Uh, Fernando Gonzalez, a guy that has kind of been a part-time starter for them, he is the second-team catcher. I don't know that we see him, but he's having a decent year for them. 
But outside of that, you look at the offensive numbers, you know, as a team, they're hitting 304. Opponents are hitting just 233, and that's because, again, they have an outstanding pitching staff. They have one of the best, one of the best pitching coaches in the country. Scott Strickland is a guy that understands the game, understands how to develop pitchers. Uh, so, again, a team that has some pop, 19 home runs, they've allowed 14. Uh, not necessarily running away with it, but they're a team that they, they will hurt you if you allow them to. You can't get cute with these guys, even in their own ballpark, especially in their own ballpark. And another name that's kind of been around uh, a few 24 hours, you know, for them, you know, when I, when I begin to look at these numbers and we talk about veteran guys, you know, they've got a handful of guys, too, that, uh, that kind of made, made it over from last year. I guess we've already talked about Ben Anderson a little bit. But, um, you know, these are guys that um, have seen SEC pitching. They hadn't seen a lot from us because they hadn't played us in a long time. But, uh, you know, we've got a chance to go in there and take a series. But let's look, look at the Bulldog pitching staff. And here's the deal, too. There are a lot of people, too, you know, baseball insiders trust Scott Strickland. They absolutely do. And so they know that he is a guy that's going to develop pitchers. And so – Jonathan Cannon, a guy that's been really good for them, 6'6", 213-pound junior, will certainly go in the draft this year. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, did have kind of a rough outing against Georgia Tech. Six innings pitched, seven hits, and six runs. Two of his four starts, he has not allowed a run and allowed five hits combined against Auburn and Akron. Uh, Lipscomb hit him a little bit, but he still was able to, to command the zone and got 11 Ks. Certainly a good uh, good option for them. Liam Sullivan, another guy that I'm sure we'll see, a 6'6", 245-pound left-hander. And he is more of a power pitcher. You know, a lot of these lefties that we've seen, you know, have been these uh, junk ballers and, you know, guys that throw 75 miles an hour. Now, the thing about Liam Sullivan, too, is in many respects, uh, he is really more of an, an opener type guy. He doesn't work deep into ball games. He's had a couple of games where he's been off the zone a little bit. Actually, Albany got to him a little bit. He only pitched two innings against them, allowed five hits and four runs. Uh, Georgia Tech got to him, chased him after just two and two-thirds of an inning. He did go four innings, excuse me, five innings against Lipscomb and went five against Akron. A uh, few hits there, but no runs against them. But he is a guy that's not a big strikeout guy. And strikeout-to-walk ratio is, is pretty close, honestly. It's not – it's not staggering type numbers, but a guy that's actually going to compete. Garrett Brown's another guy too, redshirt sophomore, 6'7", 218. You hear, you're, you're hearing all this length, right? But he is a guy too that, again, has gotten some starts, but hasn't worked deep into ball games. Looking at his numbers here, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy to think about this. You know, Garrett Brown's a guy that's uh, got four starts for them, and the longest he's gone is three innings. He, uh, he got – Lipscomb got to him pretty good, eight hits and uh, four runs against him, and uh, just a half dozen strikeouts and also a half dozen walks. So not a lot of punch outs. Now, there is a name that you're going to be familiar with over there, Davis Rokus, former Diamond Dog, left-hander. It just never came together here from Johns Creek, Georgia. Uh, transfers out to Georgia and has worked basically in middle relief. Uh, had a really good outing against Albany, three innings pitch, no hits, no runs, no walks, two Ks. Wofford got to him a little bit, four hits, four runs, and one and a third. Georgia Tech uh, had a hit and a run against him, and walks was the issue in that game. That was kind of how it was here, too. 
He only goes two-thirds of an inning in that one. And then Lipscomb, probably his uh, second-best outing of the year, one and a third innings with two Ks. And then he worked earlier this week two-thirds of an inning against USC Upstate and walked three hitters again. So control is still a bit of an issue uh, with Davis. When, uh, when you begin to look at all this, you know, let's just see that you got all these starters. Well, they're not working deep in the ballgame, so who are we seeing? What's Luke Wagner? Luke Wagner, an outstanding pitcher, not as big as the other guys, but a left-handed pitcher, six foot, 182, and uh, he has had um, a lot of success this year, to say the least. Uh, he is 5-0 and in five appearances with an ERA of 0.73. 17 Ks against seven walks. He's allowed just one run on the year and just nine hits. Opponents are hitting just 205 against him. He's only hit one batter. And so control, not a real big issue with him, but still 7-12 seven, seven and 12 is not a great number. But Luke Wagner is the guy that's getting out. That's a guy that I'm certain that we're going to see. You might as well plan to see him. Uh, basically pitching a couple times each weekend. Uh, he has pitched um, – I said I said I've got this here. Yeah. Yeah, he, he pitched um, – I guess he is the dual position guy. So, yeah, you'll see him do some pitching and some hitting for them. That's why he's got multiple entries here. Uh, but, yeah, again, a guy that uh, has been very good for them out of the bullpen. Uh, Jonathan Cannon, we talked about him a little bit. I suspect that that's, that's going to be one of your weekend starters – and, you know, when you look at the staff as a whole, you know, 3.36 ERA, opponents 716. Now, some of that is the fact that you've got some veteran hitters. Another aspect of that is you just haven't really played anybody. And so the Georgia offense, I think, in some ways is a little bit – has some confidence, but it might actually be false confidence. Uh, let's see here. Complete games, none. They do have two shutouts as a staff does Georgia, um, and just the three saves on the year. And uh, Jack Gowen is the guy that has a pair of those saves. Colin Caldwell has one. But, uh, again, a veteran team that's not going to be intimidated by the NAFL champs coming to town. And you may recall, too, Georgia was in a great position to host last year and then faded down the stretch. It's one of those things that, you know, that kind of blew my mind last year. You look at Georgia and you're like, hey, we need these guys to kind of run some interference for us to give us a chance to win the SEC because, you know, we'd gotten behind the game because of that Arkansas sweep. And we didn't get a lot of help from Georgia, and they kind of slipped their way out of the tournament. And it was an easy decision, to be quite honest with you. It was a very easy decision. You just needed Georgia to find a way to get a couple of wins here and there. And um, so here's what they do down the stretch. All right, so after they take two out of three at Missouri, they lose to Georgia Tech. They lose two out of three at home to Auburn, who was, what, sixth in the West last year? They do get one at Fayetteville, a 7-3 win on Saturday, but lose two out of three there. They lose two out of three at Gainesville. They lose again to Georgia Tech, and then they lose two out of three to Ole Miss. And so it's like, hey, we're trying to kind of close out the year on a high note in the month of May, and these guys just simply couldn't get it together. They did not win a series in the month of May, and then ultimately um, you know, got out of the SEC tournament in, in three games. As a matter of fact, uh, Ole Miss eliminates them 4 nothing uh, out at the Hoover Met. But, uh, you know, they are very strong in the early part of the season, and they're a team that's capable of beating anybody. 
It's just been one of those things. They have had a real difficulty winning series in the SEC. I go back and I look, you know, look at last year, and, and like their non-conference schedule, very similar to what it is this year. You know, you got Evansville, you got Gardner Webb, you got North Florida, and all of a sudden you're feeling great about life. You're feeling great. You win that 13 inning affair against Lipscomb to close out non-conference, and you're 13 and three. Sound familiar? And they had a game against Wofford that was postponed, or it would have been 14 and three going into SEC play. And they lose two out of three to Tennessee, lose two out of three to Texas A&M. And so, yeah, two out of three to South Carolina. I mean, you can just keep running down the list here. And then they surprised everybody by winning at Vanderbilt, which enabled us to kind of get back in the mix a little bit. But then they got hot a little bit in April. But the reality of it is, is yeah, this is a team that has some veterans, but you got a lot of guys that lost a lot of ball games they shouldn't last year. So, Steve, do we win the series? Call it a homer pick. I think we do. I do think we go down there and win the series two games to one. Would love to get a sweep. I'm not expecting it. I mean, road sweeps in the SEC are pretty hard to come by. Uh, but the reality of it is, if our starting pitching holds up, I think we can compete against these guys. And I think, especially if we get the dub on Friday, I think it really sets up well for us, uh, especially with Cade Smith going on Sunday. And we haven't had a formal announcement yet if Parker Sinet's on Saturday or Sunday. But if Parker goes out there and can throw his breaking ball for a strike and not walk hitters, you got a really good chance to win this series. I think the bottom line is, is like, you know, this offense, I think, is beginning to find a sense of itself, and a lot of that centers around Kellum Clark. I think the fact that Kellum Clark has kind of gotten going, and that's – I had lunch with a friend today, and we talked about this. I said, what do you make, you know, of our big three not really carrying the team yet? I said, I'm actually encouraged by that because I know what Cameron James and Luke Hancock and Logan Tanner can do against the elite pitchers in the nation. I know what they can do. And at some point, they're going to put it together. And so the fact that I've got Kellum Clark and R.J. Yeager and Brad Compass, I've got those horses pulling. I know that's not going to last forever. But the reality of it is, is at some point, our big three are going to take off. You add in Hunter Hines, and all of a sudden you've got the makings of a good offense. And I think we have a chance to really break out this weekend. Does that mean you know 10-1 ball games? No, that's not what I think. But I think the clutch hits are going to be there. And I think there are guys like Luke Hancock, too, that, that understand due to their experience in this league the caliber of pitching they're going to they're gonna face. And the reality of, of that is, and I know that I say that a lot, and it kind of annoys me, too, but it's hard to hit bad pitching. These guys are going to be around the plate. They are. We're going to see 95-96 fastballs. And I think our guys want to see that. I do. And I, I think that we're going to have a good weekend could be a great weekend. I'm not expecting that, but I do think we'll go down there uh, and get the series win. And I think, to me, the most important game is that Friday game because I feel great about Sunday. And then Saturday, you just you don't you never know which version of Parkerson that you're going to get. If we get the one we got last week, you're going to win that game. And Presto has been really good for us too. And so it's going to be close ball games, which means the bullpen's going to have to come into play, and and maybe. You know, that uh, Drew Talley and, and Brooks Auger are, are kind of coming into their own and can help us get to the finish line. That's really the question of our season. And I think in many respects, the quality of our season is going to come down to the quality of our bullpen efforts. Got to find a way to get that shorn up. I think the offense is coming around. I think the starting pitching is exactly what we needed to be. And now we've got to find some guys that can finish games for us. That's how I see it. Maybe you disagree. All right, that's going to do it for today. Again, we're here early. 
and I know it's late Thursday evening, but I uh, wanted to get this show up for you guys so I can hit the road too. But I know that many of you are probably eager to hear, okay, Steve, so what's next from Mississippi State Men's Basketball? If you're looking for books, go to dogpiledabook.com or check your local bookstore. Uh, books are all over. you got you know, College Corner there in the, in the Flowood area in Ridgeland. And, then of course, Lemuria Books there in Jackson, Lorelei and Vicksburg, and all over the greater Starkville area. Uh, Maroon and Company, Campus Bookmart, of course, Bookmart Cafe. I think the Lodge is actually sold out. Uh, Barnes & Noble on campus. You can find it just about anywhere. Liza Ties, another place you can find it. Uh, and then, of course, um, if you want to order online. And, again, the warehouse is pretty much empty. And so if you order from us, if you order Dogpile from us, you may have to wait a few weeks. If you order from one of our vendors, you can get it right away, which I would encourage you to do so. But if you're looking for Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, or Flim Flam, you can find those at the dogpiledabook.com website. And, of course, while you're there, pick up a copy of the Turkey Hunting book. It's not my book, but uh, you guys may be familiar with the author who has now passed away. So we want to do our part to to help out uh, somebody with the same publisher as me and also a guy that was a professor emeritus at Mississippi State. Be sure and check that out. Looking for Stark Villains gear? You can get it at StarkVillains.com. Blooms of Oleander, of course, available through Amazon and anywhere else you find books. All right, that's it for today. When I get back, we'll be talking about the weekend that was and probably talking about a new hire. Probably. Possibly. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I just don't think this process is going to last uh, very long. I think John Cohen and the administration have kind of zeroed it down to just a handful of candidates, and I believe that um, as you see teams eliminated, you're going to have uh, something. I'll probably be in Athens, Georgia, and we have a, an announcement or even a you know, press conference. I know when we'll do it, but um, – I'll be in Athens, Georgia all weekend covering the Bulldogs, and we'll get back. But uh, be sure and stay very much in tune over at jeanspage.com. Paul Jones uh, basically plans to provide you guys with daily updates. As I hear things, I'll share them. Uh, But Paul, working the phones really hard to kind of get some intel. We've got the hot board up right now for subscribers. He's answering your questions over there. And uh, that's a big part of things, too. A lot of people are like, hey, Steve, I just kind of want to know what's going on. Are we going to make a good hire? That's the best place to go find out. But to answer that question, yes, I do. I do think that we are going to get a good hire, and I think some better days are ahead of us when it comes to Mississippi State men's basketball and women's basketball. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans. Like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FTIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.